0: Amen. So, you know, growing up in church, I heard a lot of really aspirational visions from a lot of different great, well-intended pastors and elders and people who were just sharing the heart of what they believed God was leading the church to do and about reaching people for Christ and impacting eternity. And as great as all of those visions that have been shared from pulpits that I've grown up uh, listening to have been, we need to ask ourselves this question what is it actually going to take to see that vision accomplished? Because we talk a big game often as church, and we speak in really large aspirational terms, and we paint with a really broad brush, and it sounds great. And and I love those things. Man, I get excited about those things. But at the end of the day, we still need to ask ourselves, what's it going to take What is God calling us to do? What's the steps of obedience he's calling us into? So today, let's lean into that as a church and as individuals, as a part of this local body and a part of the the global church, the body of Christ. And let's ask ourselves, what is it going to take? So here's the first thing. Are you ready? We're just going to jump right into this. We must commit to passionately pursuing God in order to know his heart. We have to commit to passionately pursuing God in order to know his heart. It's going to take that, all right? Other words, if we're not passionately pursuing the heart of God, then we're just painting with a broad brush saying really big, fancy, uh, Christian-sounding words that sound really great and even using the Bible to talk about it, but really not moving forward anywhere. And so this is one of the illustrations that I was taught a long time ago that maybe you've heard before uh, used in the context of marriage, that marriage done correctly is two people pursuing God with all of their heart at the same time. That's marriage done correctly. The same thing can be said of a church on mission and a church doing what God has called them to do. It is a gathering, a collective of people who are all together together pursuing God with all of their heart together at the same time we are pursuing him so this is the illustration that maybe will help us with this it's this idea of the triangle all right and so down here at the bottom of the triangle represents like a husband and a wife and then at the top this would represent God and they're both pursuing God and as they pursue his heart actually what happens to the husband and wife They get closer together as they pursue the heart of God. This same illustration can be used in the church. It can be used as the people of God who are so diverse, who are so different, who may be on opposite ends of the spectrum with a lot of the different things we enjoy doing, with our opinions, with the things we prefer, the things that we like and don't like, the traditions that we maybe observe and the things that we hold dear. All of the things that we come together and we collectively gather together as the body of Christ, if we are his body and Jesus is the head of the church and we pursue the heart of God with all of our heart, it is going to bring his body closer together as we pursue his heart. And that's what God has called us to do. We must commit to passionately pursuing the heart of God. We must passionately pursue that. And so one of the best ways to find out the heart of God is through the scripture. Psalm 42 and 1 talks about, as the deer pants for the waters, that my soul pants, longs for you, God. He talks about this in James 4 and 8, that we must desire him, that we're pursuing him, that we're actually drawing near to him. He's drawing near to us that we are seeking his heart. And as we do, it it begins to cleanse us. We begin to offload all of these things that were holding us down as we pursue the heart of God and know his heart. I tell people this when they read the scripture because people that are newer to Christianity, when they no man i need to read the bible all right yes absolutely you do because in the bible you're going to find the heart of god but how many of you know that when you start reading the scripture you're going to come across some things maybe a little weird right especially if you start in the book of Genesis. There's just some things culturally, and there's some things even from a linguistic standpoint of view that we don't fully understand all of the nuances around the text. And some of those things have been debated for centuries and will continue to be debated. So God did not give us his word in order to sow confusion among the body of Christ. Amen? Okay. So if we can agree that God did not give us the word in order to confuse us, then we have to ask ourselves, what are we to glean from those texts that maybe we don't understand? And I want to help you this morning. Here's what we can glean from those texts. The things that you don't understand, pause and ask yourself, what does this text tell me about the heart of God? So many times we get caught up trying to figure out, well, why did this guy go here and do this thing? Or why did, why did they have, you know, this many wives? Why did they do this thing this way? And there's a lot of ways we can try to explain that and understand that. But at the ultimate end of the day, the thing that should anchor us and ground us in the text should be what does this text show me about the heart of God? So as you're interpreting Scripture, as you're reading Scripture, what, at whatever level of understanding and comprehension you have, Ask yourself that question. Because so many people go to the text to try to find themselves. They try to look at, what does this say about me? What does this say directly to me? And so they're looking for little nuggets of inspiration. They're looking for fortune cookies of wisdom, you know, and things like that. And they'll thumb through looking for something that applies maybe to help them with their situation. And while those things can be helpful, the more helpful thing is always to ask yourself, what does this text teach me about the heart of god how can i know god more through his word and so as we talk about passionately collectively pursuing the heart of god we have to start with his word that's one of our core values as a church is that scripture is our starting point we start with scripture and that means with the way that I view the world, the way I view my life, the way I view sin, the way that I view uh, what it takes to please God, what it takes for me to live by faith, all of those things. Because even the faith that I need, it comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so I need to be someone who's anchored and grounded in the Word of God. It is in this desire, it's in this seeking to know Him more through His Word that we're gonna better understand the heart of God. And this is also why there's so much value in mentoring relationships. And this is why we push groups and try to get people connected in community. That's why these types of relationships are so valuable in our lives because we're able to sharpen one another and share our understandings and share our experiences of the word of God and seeing the heart of God and being able to model and display the heart of God when we've got it right, when we've got it wrong. When we've done things that, man, we're, we're, we're really glad we can look back on and see, yeah, God was in the middle of that. And then we can also look back on things and go, yeah, I, I was really going a different way than the heart of God in this area or in this way of thinking or in this way of acting. And so when we understand the heart of God, man, it anchors us and it helps us to see who he is. And as we pursue that, as we, as we begin to lean into that more, man, it brings us closer together as a church a unified church, which is what Jesus was praying. Father, make them one as we are one. This idea of us being together and this idea that the Apostle Paul over and over again wrote to the various churches in all different provinces of of Asia Minor as he was writing these epistles, the theme over and over again, make this church one, unite this group of people, bring them together. Here's how you fight for unity. Here's how you stay together. Because it's so important for us to be united. Now, we're not all going to be united on what we all wear to church on Sunday. That would be really creepy, all right? It'd be really creepy if everybody showed up wearing the same thing. It'd be really creepy if we all just left this place and went to the same restaurant because we all like the same food and ordered the same dish, and we all left in the same car, you know? It's (laughs) weird, like we're all wearing white robes, driving Teslas, I don't know, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That would be really a strange thing if we had that. That's not the type of unity I'm talking about. I'm talking about unity of heart. Because we are going to maybe start at a different place of our preferences. We maybe are going to start at a different place of where maybe even the experiences that we've had. The way we think things should go. But as we pursue the heart of God, here's what begins to happen. We begin to offload the things that we used to think were really important. And we begin to learn what actually matters. Amen. We begin to offload all the pettiness, all the things that divide us, all the things that, get, that just get under our skin for the sake of pursuing the heart of God. And as we pursue the heart of God, guess what happens? We begin to reflect the character and the heart of God in the way we treat each other, in the words that come out of our mouth because out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth begins to speak. We become more unified in what we say and what we do. We become more focused on what God has called all of us to do. And we become more focused on learning how to obey and trust him more and more. We begin to offload all of this stuff about why well, I don't like this paint color and I don't like this thing and I don't like that. We begin to offload all that stuff as we pursue the heart of God. And so if we're growing in anything, in this process of sanctification, we need to be growing in knowing the heart of God more. Some people just look at the Bible as a book full of rules and regulations, and that's not how I view the scripture at all, because actually there's great freedom, not restriction in the scripture. Because the things that I do, that I limit myself, I limit them in my freedom from Christ because I'm living now for the glory of God and nothing has me bound anymore. I am now free in Christ. And as I am that new creation and I'm living in that freedom, I am now finding fulfillment, joy, and peace in all these things now that before I wasn't, that in my past, when I was looking to my selfish ways, I was trying to figure this out in my own strength. And it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't bringing that sense of of, of completeness. But now in Christ, I have been made new, and I'm learning how to walk that out day by day. Amen, church? And so we need each other to remind each other, hold each other accountable, spur one another on. This is what we're called to do. And God has called us as a church to think bigger than Sunday and bigger than Bettendorf. And these are things that we share and say all the time. And that's great. But what does that mean? And what's it going to take for us to do some of those things? We've been talking about vision for these past few weeks. We've been talking about as we've walked and navigated through this name change. And what does it mean to be Bridge Cities Church? What does it mean to be for these cities, for all people, all of that stuff? And you've heard me say it over and over again that there are over 52% of the Quad Cities identifies as post-Christian. That means over 52% of the Quad Cities acknowledges that they understand or have some exposure to Christianity, but they're not interested. They have rejected Christ. They are post-Christian. And so that number has landed us at number 15, on a nationwide survey of the most post-Christian cities in the United States. Second highest in the Midwest. Madison, Wisconsin's number one most post-Christian city in the Midwest. Quad Cities is number two. That blows my mind. And, and, and I've been preaching this and sharing this for almost three years now. It still blows my mind. And so here's what that means. It means according to Pew Research Group, get this, That 70,216 people attend one of the 262 churches in the Quad Cities every week. All right, so let's look at this. All right, we're going to look at the Quad Cities area, or QCA if you didn't follow that. (laughs) There are 262 churches, all right, in this area known as the Quad Cities. Something just flew in my face. I don't even know what that was. All right. Out of this 262 churches, you need to understand, this is just people who attend, because not everybody who attends a church is a believer. Hello, somebody. Come on, somebody. Mm -hmm. All right. So out of that, 268 people are in each one of these churches on average, okay? 262. average attendance, okay? You tracking with me so far? All right, 262 churches, 268 average attendance based on those numbers that I just gave. Now, what God's doing here at BCC, I want you to see this too, okay? All right, BCC over 2023, so far this year, we've been averaging 768 people in weekly average attendance, okay? And so, this is plus 126 people from 2022. So, praise God for that. That's a good thing to see. Now, we're glad 126 more people are coming, but understand, this only influences and impacts these averages. And this is just people coming to church. This is not lives being transformed. This is just people who are assembling and worshiping and hearing, uh, hopefully, the gospel being preached, all right? They're hopefully in a gospel-preaching, gospel-centered church. And so what this means is that in the Quad Cities, here's what we need. We'll do a different color for fun, all right? <laughs> Each one of these 262 churches needs to see 243 people saved in order for us to get off of the list and now getting off the list doesn't mean that everyone in the quad cities is a christian this 243 people only brings us to 31 percent post-christian because the least post-christian city in the top 100 cities in the united states is 32 percent so if we were able to achieve 31 percent which would be 243 people saved in each of the 262 churches, then that would get us technically off the list, even though there would still be more work to be done because we're not okay with 31% not knowing Christ, right? But why I wanted to show you this is I wanted to show you what God's doing at BCC, yes, but I also wanted to show you what it's going to take. So this can direct and inform your prayers, So this can direct and inform what we do and why we do it. Because every day in the Quad Cities, five people die and enter into a Christless eternity. I've given that stat before because of the death rate in the Quad Cities area. So when we think about how to pray, when we think about living on kingdom priority and with purpose, when we think about we must passionately pursue to know God more and to know his heart we are knowing him more, and as we know him more, it should expand the borders of our heart to care about the place that God has saw fit to place us in for this time. Because you live here in this area. You're here, and you're, you're, you're going to work with people who maybe are a part of that 52% that are post-Christian. You're, a, you're interacting with people daily who perhaps don't know christ actually if you look at the way all the statistics break down think about this when you go out to lunch today or when you go out to brunch or hang out with your family or whatever you do if you go out in public today and you go hang out outside of church on sunday morning think about that eight out of every 10 people you encounter have no interest, have not gone um, to church that Sunday based on the attendance of church in the Quad Cities. Only two people would have actually gone to church out of every 10 that you see. Now, going to church doesn't save you, right? Going to church doesn't make you a Christian, no more than me, you know, putting on my Yana Sante de Cumpo jersey and sitting at Pfizer Forum in Milwaukee makes me a Milwaukee buck. You know, as much as I love basketball, i 'm just wearing the jersey, and I happen to be in the same place that the people who are playing the court happen to be wearing the same thing the guys on the court are wearing, but that doesn't make me a player in the game and If I wanted to play, they would probably discourage me from that, just guessing i don't think I would fit the bill no more than you parking your car in a church parking lot or wearing you know the clothes and sitting in the seat and you know, all those things that doesn't make you a Christian. You see, it's about my heart has been transformed by the gospel. And so as I'm praying, as I'm thinking, this is where, when I begin to break these numbers down, this is where this burden begins to come from. This is where this passion begins to come from. And this is where I begin to care about the things God cares about in my immediate area, in my immediate sphere. I begin to care about these things because I know God cares about these things. I know that we have to keep sharing the gospel. We have to keep sharing the good news about Jesus, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that God has made a way where there was no way before, that we now have acceptance by God through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and what he's done, and I need to receive that by faith. That message needs to be proclaimed, that we need to turn and repent from our sin, that we need to acknowledge our need for him. And that he can come and make us new. That message needs to be proclaimed. So we must be equipped. And we must have a priority of sharing the gospel. We must do this. So yes, we must commit to passionately pursuing the heart of God. This is where this comes into play. As we get more unified as a church. As we get more focused to the heart of God, and then we must be equipped. We must know how to share our faith. We must have that gospel priority. 2 Timothy 2 and 15, the apostle Paul is trying to help Timothy to be able to understand what he needs as he's like instructing him how to how to teach other people. And he says, make sure you're ready. Present yourself. Do your best. Are we doing our best, as Paul encouraged Timothy and instructed him, to present ourselves as a worker who had no need to be ashamed to be able to rightly handle the word of truth. We need to be able to handle the truth of the word of God. So that means we must study to show ourselves approved. We must be a person who understands there is a gospel priority in which I must live my life. Over in 2 Corinthians 5 and 20, the apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth, he lets them know that we are ambassadors for Christ. It's as if God is making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, man, be reconciled to God. This is that kingdom priority. This is living that obedience-based discipleship where I have a kingdom priority in my heart. I'm studying to show myself approved. I'm someone who understands the scripture and can handle the scripture. Over in First Corinthians. Sorry, we're just bouncing around a lot today in the Word. You're just going to have to roll with it today. And Normally, I stay a lot more anchored in a certain text, but today we're bouncing around for, for these purposes to help us grasp this idea of what God has called us to do. First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul said, "...for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Let the cross of Christ be emptied of its power." For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Now in the context of this, the people in the church in Corinth, they were all caught up on whether Apollos was baptizing them or Paul was baptizing them. They're like, well, I'm more special because this person uh, baptized me and my baptism is more significant because this person baptized me. And Paul said, listen, are you hearing What really matters here is that you hear and understand the gospel. This is what I've been called to do. Not argue over who baptized me. What matters is that have you heard the gospel? Have you responded to the gospel? Because I came to preach this gospel. This is what I am called to do. And in 1 Peter chapter 3 and 15, Peter even says that we need to always be ready to give a defense for what we believe and for why we believe it. He says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a offense. Always be ready to, to give this reason for this hope that you have. But yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with the right heart, with the with the with the right focus. Don't just go out and beat people up with it. No, no. Do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. But man, you better be ready. You better be ready. You better understand that God has called us. Because what God has called us to do, man, we believe it has eternal ramifications. And I know, man, there's things in life that we go through that seem really important to us in the moment. And then as we grow and as we get perspective, isn't it kind of like laughable some of the things that we used to think really mattered a lot? Some of the things that we used to think we'd get so worked up about we'd lose sleep over, we get all anxious about. As you get older, as you get some more perspective in life. As you gain some maturity, you look back and you see, oh man, you begin to learn what's really important. You know, you hear the stories about the person who's like the workaholic, always working their whole lives, and then something shifts where they realize, I've been missing out on spending time with my family, and I don't know my my spouse or my kids as well as I want to, and they make a shift and a pivot in their life. You hear these stories, and maybe you've even experienced some of that. To where the things, man, you used to just think, oh, no, this, this is so important. This has to happen right now. As you gain perspective, as you get older, you actually begin to learn what's really important, what really matters. Man, the same is true in the life of a believer. As we begin to grow, as we begin to mature in our faith, we begin to have perspective. Why? Because we're getting closer to that heart over and over again. We're getting our perspective refined. We're getting our heart refined. We're getting our priorities refined. We're getting our lens that we view the world through refined. And we're seeing things differently. We're prioritizing things differently. And we begin to see what really actually matters to God. Why? Because we're learning his heart. We're learning what matters to God. And then all of a sudden, it begins to shape our actions, not just our words. Because I'm I'm just, this is going to sound critical. Maybe it is. Lord, forgive me if it's wrong to be this critical. But I, I just feel this. That a lot of churches in America have gotten really good about saying a lot of words and saying things really, really well, but we've become very poor at actually living those things out. We haven't really been doing the stuff we've been talking about, but we've been talking a big game. We write books, we hold conferences, but man, we don't do very much. And I don't want us to be a church that just is talking about all the good things we we should be doing. That's just writing down statistics and making up good statements about being for these cities and for all people that wants to be bigger than Sunday, bigger than Bettendorf, beyond our lifetime. All that stuff is great, but if there's no application behind it, it's meaningless. Because we're not just supposed to be hearers of the word of God. We're supposed to be doers, not deceiving ourselves, thinking just because I know it, I'm doing it. Some people think, I just got to know more. I got to know more. What if we just applied 10% of what we know? <laughs> what if we just applied 5% of what we know? How different would our lives be? How different would our churches be? How different would our communities be? How different would our cities be? You see, a lot of people are just waiting around to hear something that makes them feel good or to hear something that maybe get, helps them to, 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 to get up and actually do something. No, you, you already have the things you need to get up and move because if you've heard the word you know what your response should be to the word of god obey to obey i remember when pastor barry and i were in india we were visiting a church talking to these pastors and one of the pastors said to us he said we practice in our churches obedience-based discipleship and we were like okay unpack that for us what does that mean obedience-based discipleship And they take a really hard stance with this in their churches. He said, when we visit a certain portion of text, we stop at that portion of text and we teach from it until everyone in the church is obeying it. Because we're not teaching just to learn more information, we're teaching to obey. So literally, you're hearing the same sermon, you're hearing the same text unpacked over and over again. You're studying it, you're immersing yourself in it until we all get it. And then when we all get it, then we move on to the next thing. That's what they do. Because they're taking this, they said, we're reading the scripture to obey, not just to gain more information. Church, God has called us to obey, amen? That's in the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, we quote it every single week here before we leave, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. Isn't that the Great Commission? Isn't that part of this? We always talk about go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them, name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we stop there sometimes. A Great Commission doesn't end there. Jesus still had more to say. And the more that he had to say was teach them to obey. Obey is an action. That's actionable learning. That's not just learning to increase my knowledge so I can win Bible trivia. That's not just increasing my knowledge so I can sound really smart and say really spiritual things and pray really eloquent prayers because of my expanding knowledge. No, it's obedience. I would rather you not be able to maybe articulate with the king's English all the these, the thous, and the those, and you be actually living out the principle and the truth of the Scripture. Because, man, you can get all the these, thous, and those right, and you can sound impressive, Oh Lord, I thanketh thee for thine many blessings. <laughs> How thine great and powerful riches have been given to it, thou it servanteth. <laughs> I can I can speak eloquently in people go, wow, wow, look at those extra THs. <laughs> or I can live it out, and I can be obedient. Yes. And I can be obedient to what he's called me to do. And so BCC, we believe that starting small churches strategically in people's homes in jails and in nursing homes, we believe that that's very much a part of our very near future. And as we get closer to that, we'll unpack that more. And what does that look like? How how do I get plugged in? What's my role? We'll, We'll talk about all of that. But however, none of that matters unless we start with the right things. And that is passionately pursuing the heart of God. That's being equipped through learning the scripture. We must start with prayer and training and equipping and sharing the gospel. Have confidence in sharing your story. Have confidence in sharing the gospel. We must continue to strengthen our discipleship efforts and groups to study the word of God, to know the word of God, to care about one another more than we do, to grow closer in alignment to the heart of God. This is what we are laser focused as a church on doing because we believe that eternity matters because a church unified with a gospel focus and a gospel priority is going to impact eternity. Amen. Not Like three people believe that. That's okay. (laughs) Hang on. Let's try that again. A church unified with a gospel focus priority is going to impact eternity. Amen. Amen. That's right. And so here's what we have to do. And I know you've heard it, but we've got to be a praying church. Last week, Pastor EJ, he unpacked this idea of the difference of being a church that prays and being a praying church. He did that during our worship time. Maybe you caught that last week. We're sharing that heart and our identity as a praying church is going to shape the next steps that we're going to take to move forward in the vision God has called us to. I believe the Holy Spirit gave me something um, that, that just kind of brought this clarity to me. One day I was just journaling, and I just kind of got this really clear thought. And I want to share these thoughts with you to kind of show you uh, a formula of sorts of what I believe that God has called BCC to do that we're going to start moving forward in more intentionally. And that's this, prayer plus serving equals relationships. That's the first piece of this. So what this means is that prayer, we're, we're, we're laying that foundation, we're pursuing the heart of God, we're praying, we're increasing our dependence upon Him. We're increasing our, our awareness and our need of what's happening around us. We're clearing the land Uh, per se as we've talked about before with prayer by going on prayer walks having more prayer gatherings becoming that house of prayer in our own homes, in our own lives, in our own families here at church by opening our doors to have different prayer gatherings, even like tonight where we're having a large Quad City prayer gathering where we're going to have churches from all over the Quad Cities come and we're going to pray. So prayer really begins to temper my heart and begins to deepen my dependence upon him. And what prayer does is it actually leads to my awareness to serve because now I'm more sensitive, more aware to what may be around me that I wasn't aware of before. Because now God is shaping my heart. And now I'm beginning to look at relationships and people differently. So now I'm more aware of serving. I believe that as we go on prayer walks throughout neighborhoods in the Quad Cities, that God's going to highlight people, situations, things that we can do in those neighborhoods to begin to serve and to show people the tangible love of God by us being the hands and feet of Jesus to our neighborhoods. I believe we're going to see that. And we are seeing that in in small pockets. But I believe as we get more unified, God is going to help us through prayer to begin to serve. And what's going to happen through that serving... And through that prayer is that relationships are going to be formed. God-honoring relationships are going to be formed between the people who are serving together. God-honoring relationships are going to be formed between people who maybe don't know the Lord that you're going to encounter through serving or that you are praying for. And then as we have those relationships, here's what happens. What do we do when through prayer and serving, God helps our paths across with other people? Relationships plus evangelism equals salvation. And that's going to impact and influence eternity because as you know people as you begin to build those relationships as God begins to open up those doors as you're equipped to share your faith as you're equipped to do the work of an evangelist what begins to happen well now people began to come to faith in Christ someone serving but it all started with somebody praying somebody serving someone building that relationship God making those connections whatever the case may be some planting some watering God bringing that increase amen and then what happens next well I'm glad you asked because someone who comes to faith in Christ, what do they need? They need to be discipled. We were told to go into all the world and make disciples, not just converts. Amen? Amen. So going into all the world and making disciples. So salvation plus discipleship equals church planting. And this is how BCC is going to move forward with seeing people's lives change and seeing this Quad Cities change and impact the kingdom of God. We believe that God is going to lead us into those areas to be able to do that. And then what is the church plant going to do? What are they going to do? Well, they're going to pray, and they're going to serve, and they're going to build relationships. And then they're going to share the gospel, and people are going to come to faith in Christ. And then they're going to disciple those people that were led to faith in Christ. You see how this works? You see, see what God is doing? And, and, and one of the beautiful things that as I was unpacking this to our staff, Pastor uh, Tom pointed this out to me in a conversation. He said, actually, that's also a diagnostic tool for us to look at too. And I said, oh, that's really good, man. Tom has those bright moments. And that's uh, I just love, just love Tom. Yeah, got to pick on him a little bit. He said, uh, he said, that's actually a diagnostic tool. He said, because if we're not seeing some of those things happen, we can go back and we can say, are we praying? Are we serving? If we're not seeing people come to Christ, are we sharing our faith? Are we equipping people to share their faith? If we're not seeing churches planted, are, are we doing? You know, you can reverse engineer this thing. And so it's a good way for us to just keep our focus on what God has called us to do because the church begins to pray, begins to serve, begins to build relationships, begins to be trained for evangelism because we're all called to, to do those things. We may not all plant churches. That's fine. That's not the goal is to get every person to plant a church. That's not what we're trying to do. But churches will be formed, will be planted in the quad cities. And I believe that God's going to use us in that way. And we believe that God has, has called us to that. But I'll say this, it all starts, all of it. Where does it start on the whole list? Where do you see? What's the first thing? It starts with prayer. I cannot overemphasize how much prayer matters. I want us to get this church. I want us to be unified. I want us to be pursuing the heart of God. Even this pursuit, are we praying? Are we pursuing the heart of God? Are we growing in scripture? Are we growing in understanding his heart for our lives and for the lives of the people who live in these cities? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 and 16 says this, speak the truth in love and grow up in every way unto him who is the head and to Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the body of Christ, what we're called to do. Every one of us has a part to play in this. And here's our big idea for today. Every believer has a step of obedience God is calling you to today. Take that step. Every one of us has a step of obedience. And if you're not a believer and you're here today, and you're just kind of checking things out, you have a step of obedience today, because I believe that you have now heard about the good news of Jesus Christ. And what do I need to do? Take a step of obedience by placing your faith in Christ. Turn, repent from your former way of living. Say, Jesus, I need you. I recognize I need you. Respond. Respond by faith, by trusting that he's good, that he loves you, that he's good enough, and his sacrifice was sufficient to be able to cleanse you of all your sin, to forgive you, to restore you into a right relationship with God, because you can't do it on your own. You can't tilt the scales of justice in your favor. That's not how this works. This is about what Jesus did, not what you did, and not even you helping Jesus out, because Jesus doesn't need your help. It's about what Jesus did all by himself for you, just as Pastor Barry shared earlier when we were receiving communion. He did this for you, but ultimately for the glory of God. That God may be glorified because God all by himself did what you could never do in your own strength. And so what's your role? To declare, I need you. And guess what, Christian? Your role is still to declare, God, I need you. You never stop saying, I need you, Lord. You never stop. You never stop. You said at one time initially, When you became a follower of Jesus you're like wow I need you Jesus and you never stop needing Jesus you never stop actually that dependence on him gets deeper and deeper that 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 need gets deeper and deeper because you recognize how much you need him your dependence grows on him and then he begins to use you as you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God as you acknowledge how sufficient he is and how Lord I am nothing apart from you and I need you every single day so for some of you, your step of obedience is going to be starting with prayer. Maybe tonight would be a great start for you. Maybe you just need to come, push past the awkwardness. Push past whatever you have on your agenda for this afternoon. Maybe today your step of obedience is prayer. Maybe you need to join us at six. I know that's a shameless plug to put in there. But hey, if it gets somebody to come pray that wouldn't come and I'll, I'll do it. Because we, we need to be a praying church, amen? amen. Not just a church that prays. For other people, it may be learning how to share your story. Maybe you're like, man, I, I, I need to be able to, like Peter said, give that answer for that hope that I have. I don't know how to articulate that well. Th- that's okay, at least you acknowledge that and recognize that, so now you need to grow in that. Being able to share your story, to articulate the gospel, to share the gospel. Good, I'm glad you recognize that today. Let that be your step of obedience, that you're gonna commit to learn and you're going to commit to learn scripture. You're going to commit to learn some of those things that you can share. You're other people will sh- will help you with that. That's part of what we do as the body of Christ. For some of you, it's going to be growing deeper in scripture to pursue the heart of God more because you need to be more devoted to that pursuit of transformation and and, and God is wanting to grow you in that area. And so that step of obedience you know it's been there and you've been ignoring it, you've been dabbling in it, and now God is just calling you today is the day to take that step of obedience. For some of you, it will be maybe in, in some time, perhaps even God calling you to be a part of planning churches. For some of you, it could be serving or connecting with other believers so you can grow in knowing God more. Maybe you've been kind of on the outside, not wanting to get to know anybody. And now you realize, oh, okay, there's a mission here. There's something that we're, we're pursuing together. There's something that's important here. There's people that need to be reached. There's people that need to be saved. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility, so what's it gonna take? What's your next step? Here's what it's gonna take. Are you ready for this? It's gonna take all of us being obedient to the step God's calling us to right now. That's what it's gonna take. So Lord, help us to be obedient. We need you. We ask you, Lord to help us to see clearly what our next step is in our relationship with you and growing in Christ likeness and growing and knowing you more growing and pursuing your heart growing in unity as a church growing in the focus that you've called us to growing and applying the word not just being a hearer only maybe growing by today becoming a believer in Jesus whatever it may be Lord we recognize we need you we ask you spirit to give us what we need to do what you've called us to do we trust you Help us to be obedient by reminding us, by giving us a sense of urgency. I pray, Lord, you stir a sense of urgency in your church today. I pray that you would stir in us, God, a sense of urgency to live on mission, what you've called us to, to lead people to Jesus, to help them find and follow him, to be a great commission church, to be a church that's glorifying you. In Jesus' name, amen.